This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome back. We have a real uh, treat for you now. Uh, new original data that talks about an important problem. It's my uh, pleasure to introduce... Uh, Two of our colleagues, uh, Dr. Michael Rodriguez, who's a professor in the Department of Family Medicine, vice chair for research in that department, director of the UCLA Blum, Blum Center for Poverty and Health in Latin America, and co-director of the UCGHI Center of Expertise on Migration and Health, and Dr. Steve Wallace, professor uh, and chair of the Department of Community Health Science uh, of Community Health Sciences in. Uh, the Fielding School of Public Health and co-director of the UCLA Center for Policy and Health. So let me introduce our two colleagues to present the next session, Steve and Mike. Michael. Well, thank you very much for having us here. Um, We released this report. Let's see if we've got a PowerPoint going. Um, We released this report on Thursday, um, and while the title of this session is No Federal Immigration Reform, What States Can Do to Improve the Health of Undocumented Workers, the title of our report is actually Creating Conditions to Support Healthy People, State Policies that Affect the Health of Undocumented Immigrants and Their Families. And so this actually is answering the question that the session title is asking. So when we were talking to reporters, they started by asking us why we did this study. So that's a good place to start, I think. Um, So we've, Michael and I, have been involved in a number of studies looking at health status of undocumented immigrants, access to health care. And all of those are predicated on the conditions of the state policies that people are living in. So we wanted to take a step back and look more broadly, not just at health care, not just at a particular health outcome like diabetes, but really at the conditions under which people can be healthy. And that's the social determinants of health, which are the conditions where people are born, live, work, and play, and how state policies can affect those. Um, as, a, as a brief sidebar, I think uh, ending the day on a policy note does the complete sell to society. We started this morning with a discussion of cell and subcellular uh, genetics, epigenetics, and we're going to end up with the 30,000-foot policy arena. And that really exemplifies what the UC Global Health Institute stands for, which is the interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, bringing together all of the expertise on the 10 campuses and all of the disciplines on those 10 campuses and really trying to foster health on a global level. So with this interest in um, looking at the social determinants of health, we were fortunate to have the support of the UC Global Health Institute through the Center of Expertise in Migration and Health um, and have really um, done this first broad look at state-level policies that exist on the multiple factors that impact the health of undocumented immigrants. Now, historically, um, federal government is, is dominant in the area of immigration policy, but states have a lot of flexibility in a number of areas, and that's what we're looking at is that state flexibility. 
because it is state level, it's generated a lot of interest in a lot of different states. Um, this is some of the stories that came out yesterday. Um, you'll notice in the upper right-hand corner, La Opinion is for California. Uh, on the left is the Daily News in New York, Columbus Dispatch, and you'll understand why in a moment, the Florida Sentinel, and um, the, uh, I don't know if you can read this, uh, International Business Times, which look across. So it's an area that's generated a lot of attention. And this is why, because immigration is a national issue. It's actually a global issue. Um, there was a report a couple years back that looked at global trends in migration. And migration touches every country, either internal migration or um, international migration. In the United States, migration is not evenly distributed, but does exist in every state. And the undocumented population is uh, heaviest in California, Texas, Florida, and New York. But there are undocumented immigrants living in every state. So we picked a broad range of policies where there was variation across the 50 states to try to understand the impact on the health of undocumented immigrants. Um, undocumented immigrants currently are estimated to be 11.2 million people in the United States. That's about one quarter of all immigrants in the United States are here without legal authorization to be present. Um, the number has been relatively steady for the last five years, actually down from the peak in 2007. And this population is becoming long-term immigrants. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot more temporary immigration. People would come, work for a couple months, and return back to their country of origin. But this is a population that's really becoming the fabric of our communities. And so maintaining and promoting their health is all that much more important. When we're talking about social determinants of health, we're not just talking about health care, but that's, of course, an important aspect of it. We looked at three policies across the states that deal with public health and welfare benefits. Education is an important social determinant of health. We all know that it has an impact both on the income that people can earn, as well as their ability to understand and maintain health behaviors and have positive health outcomes. We looked at two policies around higher education. Immigrants, undocumented immigrants in particular, come to the United States to work. 95% um, of undocumented immigrant males in California are in the labor force, which exceeds the labor force participation of lawful permanent immigrants, of US uh, citizens and US born persons. So people are here to work. So the labor and employment practice policies um, are particularly important. We looked at three policies there. Driver's licensing and secure communities, and I'll explain each of those in just a moment. So what did we find? Um, this is a map that shows you the scores in different states. So we looked at 11 policies um, because some policies could score a plus one if they had the policy, a minus one if they didn't. In some cases, there was a zero instead of a plus one or minus one. The range is actually from plus 10 to minus nine. But when you look overall across the country, you'll notice that most states don't even reach a zero, which means they have more policies that exclude undocumented immigrants, that create conditions hostile to their health, than they have policies that are inclusive and that promote um, healthy con living conditions. So I'm going to take you briefly, because we were just trying to give a brief overview. The entire report is actually outside at the UCGHI table, and it's also on the website of all three sponsoring organizations. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good. There are some states that are inclusive in most of those policies. Um, 
I'm proud to hail from California. California does have the most inclusive policies of the policies we scan. So we picked five different areas, five different domains, and picked representative policies across each of those five domains. And we picked policies where there was variation across states. So this is not a definitive, we looked at every single policy that might impact the health of undocumented immigrants, but illustrative. And California comes out on top. It's got good company, um, Illinois, Washington, Colorado, and Texas, interestingly enough. So you always want to know what surprised you in research. So, right, what's the news? What's disruptive? We were talking about disruptive technology. Disruptive technology today is from California to say that Texas is actually doing pretty well is a disruptive statement to make. Um, so let me show you a little bit about California. Um, across all the policies that we looked at, California has inclusive policies. So we looked at whether uh, states offer health insurance for children and pregnant women in California and a number of other states do. Um, it's not quite at the level of epigenetics, but there's a very complicated way to determine eligibility for food stamps, and states have an option of one or two ways of determining eligibility for food stamps. One disadvantages households with undocumented immigrants, and one does not disadvantage households with undocumented immigrants. That's as much as you need to know. California picks the option, as do most states, that does not disadvantage. That's a double negative. It's okay in Spanish, not in English. But that advantages uh, families, doesn't, doesn't disadvantage families with undocumented immigrants in it. We also looked at in-state tuition and financial aid for undocumented students. California both provides undocumented students with uh, the ability to have in-state tuition if they've graduated from a high school in California and have lived here for several years. And there's financial aid that's not available from the federal government, but it's available through state finances. Um, California limits the use of E-Verify. This was basic, these were two different policies we looked at. Some states either prohibit or discourage either public sector and or private sector from using E-Verify. E-Verify is a national database that has information on the eligibility of people to work in the United States. Unfortunately, there's between a 5 to 10% error rate, so you end up um, uh, prohibiting a number of people who are eligible and not catching people who are not eligible. So California actually limits E-Verify. It also provides a chilling effect on the ability of undocumented immigrants to work above board. There are some states that actually require public employees or public sector employers to use E-Verify. So there's the distinction between the plus one and minus one. California limits it. Driver's licenses. California started issuing driver's licenses to undocumented immigrants uh, starting in January of this year. Um, that's an area of a lot of dynamic policy movement. A lot of states are um, issuing driver's licenses now to all people who live in, in their areas. Makes it both as a safety issue so that people have licenses you're sure that they know what the driving requirements are, allows them to buy um, insurance, car insurance, and also provides an identification card so people can open bank accounts and move around in their communities. And then finally, Secure Communities uh, was actually a program ended at the end of last year, but it was active when we did this policy scan. It's metamorphized into a new program called Priority Enforcement Program, um, similar type of issue, but what it involved was sending people who had been arrested by polo local police their identity to Immigration Enforcement Service and um, handing people over 
for deportation um, if they came up in that uh, database. So those are the types of policies. California, um, oops, there's a plus there, sorry. It, it, the plus is, is that there's legislation that limits the use of secure communities. So California is good on all of those. Illinois is similar, except that it doesn't limit secure communities. Um, Washington, a little less uh, inclusive. It is mixed on, it provides in-state tuition, but no financial aid. So the good news is that a student doesn't have to pay out-of-state tuition, but they still have to come up with uh, $33,000 a year to be able to go to school. Um, and Texas, which actually don't have a slide on, is actually uh, fairly good on health care and education and not so good on the rest. So Texas likes children, and uh, children include both prenatal care. It includes in-state tuition, which is currently being debated again in Texas, um, but not very good on the other areas. So that's the good. The bad are the states that um, are exclusive in most areas, and... Once again, the surprise we scratched our head is Ohio. You never usually think of Ohio as being an anti-immigrant state. Um, as it turns out, it does not provide any of the policies that California provides. So if you turn California upside down, you get Ohio. Um, oops. Uh, so Ohio has good company, or we'll leave it at that. Um, it is together with Arizona. Uh, who you've heard a lot about in the news, Alabama, who you've heard a lot about in the news, Mississippi, Indiana, and West Virginia as at the bottom of the pack in inclusivity. In Arizona and Alabama, immigration has been used as a wedge issue. It's been used as a political issue to rally conservative troops. In Ohio, it hasn't been, but Ohio has a small and disorganized immigrant community, so there's not a lot of advocacy there. It has a small number of immigrants in the labor force, so the employers don't advocate for immigrant rights issues. Um, and it's got a supermajority of Republicans in both legislative and the executive branch, so it has been a, an unfriendly place for immigrants, particularly undocumented immigrants. Um, Alabama, I mentioned, um, just as to show you, the only difference really there is how they calculate food stamps. And then there's a lot of communities in the middle. Um, so that's the good, the bad. This is, I guess, you could call the ugly. Um, when you break it down to the different types of policies, what it actually shows you is when you know what a state does on one policy, you know what a state does on that policy. There's not, except in the extremes, a lot of consistency across them. In the area of health and welfare policies, public benefits, um, there's only six states that score positive on all three. It's got the largest number of states that have a mixed number of scoring. In the area of secure communities, it has the highest rate of states that uh, endorse the policy and collaborate. So where you have the most mixture is, is across the different categories. Oh, and there's, there's the average. Oh, sorry, there we go. Um, New York is a classic state. New York is another one of those states that ranks below Texas, so that was a surprise. Um, New York is very good on health care benefits. It is not so good on education or any of the other areas. So New York, which you know the Statue of Liberty you think is being very welcoming to immigrants, in its state policies is actually not promoting conditions 
where those undocumented immigrants in particular can be healthy. So briefly, some implications and conclusions. Uh, what's interesting is when trying to figure out what was driving this pattern, we looked at the number of undocumented immigrants in each state. There's no clear cord, um, correlation between numbers or rate of change of immigrants or undocumented immigrants and the inclusivity of their policies. It may be related to the advocacy in their states, and there's definitely a, a political climate and the use of immigration as a, as a signpost for conservative politics. What's important to remember in this case, then, is that immigrant policy, the way that states treat immigrants, is a health policy. And so when we're thinking of health and all policies, we have to look at immigrant policy. Um, so states still have work to do as the take home. The lowest ranked states, I was asked by an Ohio radio station what Ohio should do, and I said, here's the menu. You've got 11 different, 10 different policies, take your pick. Um, there are many that actually work well across the aisle and that save you money. High ranking states like California have momentum and can keep going. Um, and we have to keep in mind that there is also lots of local variation and that implementation matters. So there's States that want to keep moving can expand laws that actively grant immigrants' rights, buffer the impact of restrictive federal laws, and simply just acknowledge the fact that immigrants and undocumented immigrants are important members of our communities, families, um, and the workforce. So California, it's not time to go home because we're at the top of the pack. Uh, the legislature just introduced a, a set of bills in 10 different areas that would continue to expand the inclusivity for undocumented immigrants. The highest profile one being the Lara Bill, which would expand Medicaid and a parallel exchange to all residents of California. Um, and more broadly, uh, instead of looking at bills by bills, what we should really do is uh, think back to a public health perspective, which identifies the conditions necessary for the health of everybody living in our states and country, and adopt a human rights frame. So the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was passed by the US, UN General Assembly in 1948. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was a co-author of it. The United Nations actually ratified it. We're not big into ratifying treaties these days, but we ratified that one. And it says everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for health and well-being of himself. It's 1948, so excuse the gender language. Um, but the bottom line is, is it doesn't talk about citizens, it doesn't talk about lawful residents, it talks about everybody. And the Declaration of Human Rights really refocuses our discussion to what is good for the health of all people living in the country. And to get there, we need to do more research. Uh, what we did was a very first scan of a selected group of policies that impacts the social determinants of health. And we need to go back, refine the set of policies, and make that link better to health. And then we need to translate this research into action. So um, all of us involved in this project don't just want to publish or do a report and have it sit on the shelf, but we want it to inform what happens on the ground and really improve people's health. So I want to thank you. The report is available at any of the three sponsoring institutes. Go to their websites. It's on all of the three websites. We've also got hard copies outside. So, um, we're now going to have some commentary and discussion. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez is going to lead us in that. So much. Thank you so much, Steve, for that uh, overview. And uh, I'm going to ask 
our other distinguished panelists to come and join us here uh, for a little bit of a discussion, uh, which will provide us an opportunity to explore a few other issues uh, related to this to this uh, important issue and topic. Uh, you know, Rachel Murnoff talked earlier about human rights, and I'm so happy that uh, Steve, that you talked about human rights, uh, because this is an important underlying value and, and issue that we're talking about that uh, not only is, is relevant here, but also throughout the world. Uh, let me introduce our, uh, our distinct, other distinguished speakers here. Uh, to the far, to my far left, your far right, is uh, Claire Brindis. Uh, Dr. Brindis is a professor of health policy and the director of the Philip Lee Institute for Health Policy Studies at UCSF. And incorporating a variety of qualitative and quantitative methodologies, Dr. Brindis focuses on program evaluation and the translation of research into policy and its dissemination to a wider variety of stakeholders. She has expertise on Latinos, global reproductive health, migration health, as well as examining the impact of migration and acculturation on Latino immigrants. She also is one of my favorite mentors <laughs> for many decades. Uh, well, maybe not that many decades. <laughs> the, our other distinguished guest is uh, Raishma uh, Shamasunder. And Raishma has served as executive director of the California Immigrant Policy Center since 2003. Under Raishma's leadership, uh, the, the Immigrant Policy Center has helped to advance several successful campaigns at the state level, including preserving important health and human service programs, supporting survivors of human trafficking and domestic violence, stalling abusive employment verification practices, and furthering important immigrant integration efforts. Raishma currently serves on the Board of Health Access California and previously served as co-chair of the South Asia Network in Los Angeles. Uh, Raishma, you know, Steve ended up with a, with a slide that had research to action. And I like to look at your work as being heavily focused in the action area. <laughs> so uh, lots of interesting research, lots of data, lots of numbers and figures. Help us think about, okay, well, it's interesting to see this range, but what are we doing now? What are the next steps so that we have a sense of the future that we need to start to think about in terms of moving forward? So, um, so first of all, I, you know, as a Californian, pretty much a lifelong Californian, I'm very proud of California, and I'm very proud of the work that we've done over the last decade. Um, you know, I've been in the immigrant rights movement for almost 15 years, and there's just been a sea change, particularly in California, uh, as to where we are. And I think I'll have an opportunity to talk more about that later. You know, but looking forward in terms of nationally, um, there are important things that states can do, I think all of, all of which were demonstrated in the report, um, but there's some very critical things that we need to do at the federal level. So first and foremost, we need permanent immigration reform. That's something that activists have been fighting for for a long time. We're going to continue fighting for it, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the end goal over time. In the interim, we can implement well the Deferred Action Programs, 
These are the ones that are currently making their ways through the court, the deferred action for parents, and the expanded childhood arrivals. If those are implemented, people will be able to live and work legally in the United States while we continue to advocate for reform. We, we do believe that those will be implemented soon. It's just a matter of time. Um, we also have to put pressure on the federal government around enforcement. There was some talk about the now discredited Secure Communities Program, or ESCOM. Um, that program was really discredited due to the work of advocates. Like us here in California, in our campaign to pass the Trust Act, we did a lot of communications work and public education around the way in which that program was detaining and deporting you know, um, hundreds of thousands of immigrants who should have been able to stay in the country. Um, so we need to continue pushing back on enforcement. Um, also, the Not One More campaign run by Endelon, the National Day Labor Organizing Network, has done a tremendous job in highlighting these stories. Um, so just continue to push back against enforcement. There's the now new PEP program. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. It's probably a rebranding of ESCOM. Wait, wait and see, but pushing back against that. Um, and at the state levels, continuing to organize. Even in those states that are heavily anti-immigrant, um, if you know, we can build power in low-income and immigrant communities, organize, the demographics are shifting across the country. And so really taking advantage of those shifting demographics and moving forward state by state as well as federally is really important in the next five years. Thank you. Thank you, Reshma. So that's important to, to, to have a sense of the vision where we're going and, and, and some of the next milestones of work that needs to happen. And, but as researchers, we like to be able to support the work that needs to be done. And, and, and provide information to be able to support that. So, you know, Claire, what do you think? You know, I mean, you know you're an esteemed researcher. You've been doing, doing you know, important work for your whole career. This is a, a critical report, or is it not? Uh, and, and, and how do we build on this uh, so that we can think about some of the next research areas that we need to do to help support advocates like Reishma. Well, I'm really delighted to be here, and I want to thank both you and Steve for this amazing report. Why is it amazing? One is, I think, the fact that you really have adopted and adapted a health disparities lens. Because I think all of us are tired of knowing that the poor get poor. And the reality is that policy has a lot to do with health disparities. So you, in, this, in this report, what's revolutionary about it is that you've begun to unpack all the variety of policies that really impact health. So in the report, we mentioned things like driver's license. And even though the report says it's not a direct causal thing, in our research with the doctors, we found that, in fact, having a driver's license made a very big difference as to whether you could get a high-quality job and you can get health insurance with that job which in the past might have been a door and a window of opportunity that was totally closed. Another aspect of the report that I think is extremely important is to be really looking at the role of policy and adopting a policy lens. We know that policy shapes culture, it shapes the environment, it shapes the climate. But the climate, the environment, and culture shapes policy. So we have to be thinking about how this mirrors what is going on in our culture. 
how does this mirror the human values that we have? How does it mirror social will? How does it mirror the whole concept of social values? So having a lens on policy is also important because in public health, we've been thinking a lot about the environment, meaning that we can't help people's lives to change just thinking about changing individual behavior. We need to be thinking about the whole social context. So in this idea, in this area, we need to be thinking about how crucial policy is in the kinds of opportunities it provides people to make the right decisions. A third element that I wanted to raise for all of us is to think about the fact that you brought up the issue of morality. And what could be more moral than taking care of the individuals who live among us, who help to take care of us, who feed us, who bring the wonderful agriculture of California not only to our own bread basket, but to the bread basket of the world. If they're not healthy, we're not healthy. So the idea of the fact that we're all in the same boat is really another underlying value that is raised in this research. And then two more things that I want to bring up. One is that policy truly, truly matters. That is, it matters because it establishes what your funding priorities are. It matters because it prioritizes the issues that people are going to care about. It matters because it also brings attention to an issue. Allocation of resources, allocation of public attention. And history shapes policy, but policy shapes history. So finally, I want to say that when we think about the valuable tipping points, the marriage between advocacy and research that is so necessary for us to make progress and to change the agenda and to really make a difference for people, we need to be thinking about what will it take and to me, it's this combination, this formula of bringing more research and then bringing it to advocacy so that they can use it. It's just a matter of mural dyslexia. Mural dyslexia is the inability to read the writing on the wall. <laughs> so we need to be thinking about the fact that mural dyslexia, these um, populations are with us, their children are with us, and it's just a matter of time. California has led the way, other than medical licenses, is that we've allowed licensing of a whole range of professions um, last year and the year before uh, that has really paved the way for lawyers, for other types of professionals to begin practicing. And there's a number of advocacy groups actually working on this issue, and I'm very hopeful that we're going to see change soon. Thank you. Uh, so, Sochi, why don't you please introduce, fully introduce yourself, in, including your relationship to another important initiative in California, the UC Mexico Initiative. Thank you very much. I'm Sochil Castañeda from the UC Berkeley School of Public Health and also from the UC Global Health Institute through the Center of Expertise on Migration and Health. Um, first, I want to thank you, the organizers, and our great leader, Hali, for this tremendous opportunity. 
This is a gift for us to have the people who have spoken, the panelists that we have, so don't take it for granted. Because, you know, after doing this Global Health Day, I think we have to move forward to action. And um, disruptive action. <laughs> and this is my disruptive um, question to the panel. We are living a very historical, challenging moment in this golden state that, by the way, will not be so golden without the contribution of millions of immigrants. And um, that's the drought that we are living. You know, experts said that last year was the worst, with 20% of uh, reserve, and this year we have 6% of reserve. That is terrible, and that will impact not just locally, but globally, because it's, you know, unfortunately, we will not be able to serve the tables of many families because there are going to be um, fields that are not going to be cultivated. But my concern, besides the water, are the human beings. And in this moment, we need to rehumanize migration and link it to the challenges. And the farm workers are going to be the first suffering because the majority of them are undocumented and disadvantaged. So I urge this panel and these people to rethink and to move to action and to really challenge our uh, authorities to do some actions to protect the health of these farm workers in this historical moment that we are living. Um, just taking advantage, UC has launched the UC Mexico initiative. We have five areas. Health is one of them and is led by a, one of a tremendous leader, Jaime Sepulveda and Stefano Bertosi. And we are having our counterparts and 10 ambassadors each at each campus. So we really look forward that Global Health and UCGHI together we march and solve the great needs of this population because it is affecting California, but also the families that will not receive the remittances that is the second source of income for a lot of Central American and mainly Mexico. Thank you. Thank you, Sochi. Thanks. Uh, I'm, what I'm going to have is I'm going to uh, ask for the additional questions to be made, and given that we have limited amount of time, uh, we could keep them brief, and then the panel can, can address all the questions. That way we get to hear from all the people who are interested in, in making questions. I'll be very quick. Uh, there's a natural experiment going on, and I'm wondering if anybody's actually studying it. And that natural experiment is this. That is, one of the benefits of AIDS exceptionalism were things like the Ryan White Care Act. It didn't Qualification did not require did not require documentation status. As people have moved to the Affordable Care Act, which is not affordable, not accessible to people without documentation status, is anyone studying what's happening with HIV and particularly with HIV patients? It's important because we now know that treatment is the best prevention. Thank you. Thank you, Lara Stumple, UCLA Law School. So I really welcome the emphasis on policy and human rights today. And I was hoping that some of the panelists might help us make sense of what's happening in Arizona. It really strikes me as an outlier when you had your map. You know, you've got this bordering state, high Latino population, and yet horrible policies. So given the demographic shifts that were alluded to earlier, why is Arizona lagging behind and what could be done to address that? Thank you. 
Hi, my name is Lila from UC Berkeley. Uh, thank you for the report. Thank you for the presentation. My main question is I look at the map where I see these states, and it's great. California looks great. I come from one of the states where we don't look so great. And my concern is people, policymakers in my state, when they look, I don't like to play my state, but when they look at <laughs> maps like that, they congratulate themselves, and they see this as a great thing. Look, we are exclusionary to immigrants. We are. This is, this is what they base their policies on. And so when I'm just interested in hearing your conversation when you were releasing this statement about what are the implications for this among policymakers who are hostile to immigrants. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, two more, and that's it. Two more questions. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, I'm Hema. I'm a medical student from Prime LC at UC Irvine. Um, I was wondering, when you were making your comparison, if you, Professor Wallace, if you thought about having an appendix, you mentioned the Geneva Convention, and I know that California is class nine, but if we were to compare it to a higher standard, I was wondering if you thought about adding anything like that, so that, because babies and pregnant mothers get to have health care, but what about everybody else? Thank you. Hi, my name is Sandeep, medical student from UCSD. Um, so on the question of morality, I think we're a self-selected group of people here who actually <laughs> definitely have a passion for these activities. But on a larger scale, in a general population, how exactly do you appeal to morality and how do you fight the forces that are against it? Thank you. Okay. Who would like to go first? Do you want to go first? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I can talk about some of this. Go ahead, Rachel. Okay, so uh, with response to the farm worker comment, um, I totally agree. And one positive thing I will say is that um, some studies have shown that the farm worker population is potentially going to be um, eligible for the DAPA program in high numbers because hmm. they have U.S. citizen born children. And so that'll definitely be one opportunity to ensure that the rights of farm workers are protected. Um, I think when it comes to this issue of what is the mismatch in places like Arizona, and one of the things that we've done well, really well here in California, because when I started this work in 2003, it was not an easy conversation. You couldn't walk out to the general public in California and talk about undocumented immigrants and expect to get a positive reception. In fact, we were very used to getting hate mail and anti-immigrant threats. Um, but some of the work that happened, and we didn't directly do it, is there's been a lot of civic participation, voter engagement, and in many of the states that you know, there's mistreatment of immigrant communities, there's a mismatch between the population and who votes. Um, but that said, demographics are still in our favor in the sense that many of those voters are older, they don't come from the communities that are you know, burgeoning the changes that we're gonna see. 15, 20 years from now. So that mismatch, I think, is going to be you know, the death of those kinds of politics eventually, although that doesn't help us now because of you know, the kind of hatred that we're seeing spewed in places like Arizona. And um, you know, many of our partners who are there, basically they're just organizing, doing the civic participation, you know, communicating many of the pro-immigrant messages. And then just the final kind of question around how you change hearts and minds. I think California is actually an excellent example. We did have so much anti-immigrant sentiment in the mid-2000s. We're the home of Prop you know, 187. And over the last decade, um, in addition to changing demographics, a changing climate, um, more sympathetic legislators, yes, all of those things are true, um, but there's been deep organizing in immigrant communities in places that did not have organizing before, the Central Valley, the Inland Empire, 
you know, parts of um, high northern California. And as communicators, we change the message from just pushing back against an anti-immigrant frame and using proactive messages, talking about this as our state, as Californians, our values as a state. And, you know, when AB 60, which is the driver's license legislation, was implemented, it's really been a non-issue in the press. And I think that's because of the communications efforts that we've engaged in over the last decade that have brought us here. Claire? I'll say very briefly um, two things. One is, I think we need to figure out what's the argument that's most effective for the different segments of the audiences that we're trying to impact. In some states, cost will be an issue, meaning that if you don't make investments in these individuals who are here, what will it cost society in general? Because right now in Arizona, it's costing a lot of money when you don't invest in prevention, when you don't invest in training, when you don't invest in education. What are the kinds of um, data that can also be used, secondly, to stop or to start breaking stereotypes? I think it's very easy to put them there or other, the other, that we don't really care about. And I'll give you a very brief example. In family planning, and Heike Bocanegra, who is one of my dear colleagues and I, have been doing research on the family planning program in California. Everyone has the stereotype images that Latinas do not use family planning. But reality-wise is that if services are provided, and this is a program where it's federally funded, but for the undocumented in our state, the state of California has realized that it's cost-effective to support low-income populations to have access to reproductive health services. Because after all, if you're, if you're a certain political party, those children are American citizens. So in that study, we have been able to demonstrate that over two-thirds of all the patients coming in for family planning are Latino women. And being able to tell that story using data to be able to bring it to a variety of stake, uh, stakeholders and policymakers has been very instrumental. So I'd like to do the combination of cost, investments, and data to start breaking the stereotypes. The issue that this is not just about undocumented, but it's actually also the families of the undocumented who are, who are also citizens as well as the communities where they live. Uh, there was a few comments related to the study itself, uh, issues of a bar, uh, issues of, sort of some of the conversations that, were, that we had in terms of, sort of the, the, the message that's sent and, and who's receiving it. Steve, do you want to make a few comments related to that? Very briefly, two comments. One, the question about Ryan White and what happens to people as they're being moved into ACA. Um, that's actually true for a number of programs. There's Every Woman Counts, which provides breast and cervical cancer screening and treatment. Also, without uh, addressing, without concern for citizenship. Um, so there's a number of those. Uh, Michael and I are involved in the project looking at community health centers who are the safety net for the remaining uninsured who will be heavily undocumented. And so that's an important area to look at. Um, I like the comment about, you know, when we show California on top, the, the idea is that maybe that's the best it can go. I was reminded of a report about 20 years ago around racial and ethnic disparities in mortality. And we usually use non-Hispanic whites as the reference in the United States, but they used at the time, I think it was Swedes, now you'd use Japanese, to say not what's the best here, but what's the best that we can see existing elsewhere in the world. Um, so you know that you can do better. And so there are a number of countries in Europe mostly who have much more inclusive policies. 
Um, and so we could use those maybe as our reference rather than California as, as the top. So I like those ideas. Thank you. Fabulous. We could certainly continue this conversation. Uh, however, we have lunch that's awaiting for us. <laughs> and so I would like you all to please join me in thanking these experts, wonderful advocates, researchers. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.